Chapter 3 of Five Mice in a Mousetrap by the Man in the Moon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kurt Troutwine. Five Mice in a Mousetrap by the Man in the Moon by Laura E. Richards. Chapter 3 The Mice. Nibble, Bright Eyes, Fluff, Puff, and Downy the Baby. There are the names of the mice, all written out nicely for you, and there, in a corner, is a glimpse of the mousetrap. Of course the children have real names, just like other children, but I have given them mouse names, which I very much prefer to Harry and Bessie and... But oh dear, I didn't mean to tell you any of their real names. Nibble was the oldest. He is now a fine, bright boy mouse of twelve. But when he first came to the mousetrap, he was only eight years old, and Bright Eyes, the oldest girl mouse, was seven. Then came Fluff and Puff, the twins, who were just five, and Downy the baby, a fat little fellow of three. You see, their ages were quite near enough for them to be great friends and playmates, and so they were. I never shall forget the day they came. It was a fine bright day in May, and spring was just awake in the old garden. The short new grass was like emerald. The old gnarled apple trees, which certainly did look like Jonah's junk when their branches were bare, had lost all trace of such likeness, for each was crowned with a pink and white snowdrift of blossoms. Down in the neglected flower beds, the crocuses and snowdrops were nodding and whispering to each other. Yes, they said, some new people are coming to live in the old house, and there are children among them. Mr. Breeze, the postman, knows all about them, but he could not stop to tell us much this morning, for he was in a hurry. Now we shall be cared for and watered, and there will be some pleasure in blossoming. When the children come, we will tell them how those vulgar weeds pushed and crowded us last year. And they did tell the children, but children do not understand flower talk, I find. And yet it is a very simple language. You see, I hear a great deal of flower gossip for my moonbeams are sad chatterboxes, and they bring me back all sorts of news when they come home in the morning. How the burglar bees robbed old Madame Peony. How the daffodils and the long border had been flirting with a regiment of purple flags behind them. When the tulip family are expected. Yes, there is no end of the things I hear. But if I told all I know, everybody would be as wise as I am. So let us go on about the mice. Well... At about three o'clock in the afternoon of this fine day that I have been describing, a large carriage, drawn by two fine black horses, drove through the old gateway and down the quiet, lovely lane, and stopped in front of the house. The very instant the wheels ceased to turn, the door of the carriage burst open with a crash, and out jumped, rolled, and tumbled my five mice. First came Nibble, in jacket and trousers and cap. One jump out of the carriage another to the top of a post, and there he was. Next came Bright Eyes, all flying, feet and curls and hat and ribbons. Then one of the twins rolled out, and the other tumbled out, and one was hurt and the other was not. That is always the way with these two children. One is lucky and one unlucky. Puff always falls on her feet. Fluff always falls on her head. Uncle Jack often calls them Hap and Hazard, and that is the only difference between them. However, when they got up and shook themselves, I saw that they were very pretty little girls. Now I will make you a picture of them. Yes, I can draw pictures too. 
In fact, there are very few things that I cannot do if I try. Here they are, Puff and Fluff, two of the dearest mice in the world. Next, a gentleman stepped out of the carriage, a very, very tall gentleman with very broad shoulders and very bright eyes. That was Uncle Jack, and he helped Mrs. Posset to get out, for she had Downy asleep in her arms, and he was a pretty good armful. Then Uncle Jack took some bags and bundles out of the carriage. Then he turned around and said, Now, children, we will... There he stopped, for not a child was to be seen, except little fat Downy, fast asleep. Uncle Jack stared about him. Post, trees, house, but no children. Sure they are gone, sir, said John, the coachman. T'will be as easy to catch the wind and keep up as still as the children. And John never said a truer word in his life. If my mirror was not so big, even I could not have seen them all. Nibble was up in a tree, of course, picking apple blossoms, for which he ought to have been whipped. Indeed, the old tree did its best, for it caught him by the leg and tore a hole in his new trousers, which was shocking to think of. Then he found an old bird's nest, and on the whole, the tree seemed so very jolly that he decided to stay there. So that was why Uncle Jack did not see him when he looked around. Bright Eyes, after seeing her brother safely up in the tree, flew off like a bird here and there and everywhere. First she filled both hands with dandelions. Then she saw a butterfly. Down went the dandelions, off went her best hat to serve as a butterfly net, and away she went. A pretty chase Master Butterfly led her, through last year's brambles and this year's mud, until at last he left her high and dry on the top of a fence, and flew off so fast that he was soon out of sight. There I left her too, for I wanted to see what the twin mice were about. I looked this way and that, but they were nowhere to be seen. At length, I caught a glimpse of something blue, among some very thick bushes. I looked closer, and I saw a sight that was truly melancholy. Among these bushes stood a huge old wooden trough, which old Jonas had built to receive the water that bubbled out of the spring close by. So the trough was full of water, and this being the case, of course, Fluff, the unlucky, had fallen into it. How she had done it, I do not know. But there she was, splashing about in fine style. Give me your hand, Fluffy, and I'll pull you out, said Puff. Oh, no you can't, cried poor little Fluff. You're not any bigger as I am, Puffy, and I am so wet and I feel very heavy. And no wonder she did, for she had on a long, thick coat which was completely soaked. But Puffy was very sure about it. She gave a great pull, and Fluff made a scramble, and out she came, knocking Puff down and tumbling on top of her. Well, they were both wet enough when they got up. Just then a very loud and strange noise was heard. At least, it was strange to me. But the children cried, Oh, the rattle, the rattle! And away they scampered towards the house as fast as they could go. Poor Uncle Jack! He had been working hard all the afternoon with John and Thomas, who had come in a cart with the other servants and the trunks and the dogs, clearing away rubbish and unpacking furniture, while Miss Posset and the maids were busy in the house. He had been rather glad to have the children out of the way for a little while, but now that it was six o'clock and tea was laid in the dining room and a bright wood fire blazing in the great open fireplace, he began to wonder where his chickens were. Bless me, he said. Where is the rattle? and opening a bag, he took out a huge watchman's rattle and sprung it briskly, 
making the strange loud noise that Puff and Fluff had heard down by the spring. Presently he heard a voice, then another, and then another. Here I am, Uncle. What is the matter, Uncle Jack? Hi, supper. Come on, Bright Eyes. And up scampered from all directions the four mice in about as pretty a plight as mice can well be in. Bright Eyes was panting for breath and limping, one shoe gone, no hat, and any number of scratches. Puff and Fluff were wet and muddy and forlorn beyond description. While with Nibble, the only question was, which was bigger, his knickerbockers or the hole in them? Uncle Jack held up his hands in amazement, and then sat down on a packing box and laughed till the tears ran down his cheeks. Oh, you children, you children, he cried. This is what comes of bringing you to the country to keep you out of mischief. Go in to Miss Posset at once. Give her my compliments and tell her I wish her the joy of you. And as soon as you are fit to be seen, come down to supper, or Downy and I will eat it all up. Away went the mice into the house and upstairs, where Miss Posset scolded and brushed and washed and wiped and mended to an alarming extent. The trunk in which Nibble's clothes were packed had not yet arrived, so the young gentleman had to wait after the others were gone down to tea, while Mary, the housemaid, mended his trousers. Bread and butter and raspberry jam are always good, but they must have seemed particularly good that evening to those five hungry mice. Little Downy soon finished his bowl of bread and milk and was just thinking about some jam when Miss Posset appeared in the doorway. I have a great respect for Miss Posset. She is very faithful and as fond of the mice as if they were her own children. But I do wish she would not wear green and yellow ribbons in her cap. It makes her look like a stout elderly daffodil. But that is neither here nor there. She appeared in the doorway and looked at Downy. Downy looked at her, but did not move. Then Miss Posset said, Downy, come with his posse and put on his itty night coatie, and go to his itty betty house. That's another thing. She talks to that mouse as if he and she were both idiots. No, said Downy. Not one any betty house. Posse go away. Come, Downy, said his uncle. You have had a long day, little man, and bed is the best place for you. Nice bed. I wish I were in mine. Not nice, cried Downy. Naughty bed. Take it away. Ah! Uh. And the poor little boy, who was really tired out, began to scream and cry lustily. Hush! cried Uncle Jack hastily. Hush, Downy. The bed will hear you. And then who knows what may happen? Downy paused for a moment and looked at his uncle in astonishment. What do you mean, Uncle Jack? asked Bright Eyes. Beds cannot hear. Perhaps their posts are their ears, said Fluff. Oh, Fluffy, said Puff. You know their posts are their legs, so they can't be their ears. But Uncle Jack looked very grave and said, Have you ever heard the story of Little Willie and his bed? Listen then, and I will tell it to you. One night, Little Willie thought he did not want to go to bed. In fact, he felt very sure about the matter. He had had his supper, and it was half past six o'clock. There was his bed, standing firmly on its four fluted yellow legs, the white sheet turned down, and the pillow plumped up, looking as inviting as a bed possibly could. But into it a little, Willie would not go. First he kicked, and then he screamed, and then he did both together. I won't go to bed, he cried. I hate my bed. It's cold and horrid and ugly. I will never get into it. Naughty bed. He was lying on the floor, kicking the bed as hard as he could, when suddenly, what do you think happened? I shall shock you very much, but it is best that you should know. The bed began to move. 
Slowly it lifted its fluted yellow legs. Slowly it marched across the room until it reached the window. And then, if you will believe me, it coolly marched out of the window. And thump, 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 off it went down the street. Little Willie ran to the window and looked out, with eyes and mouth wide open, in great surprise. Yes, it was really true. The bed was gone. There it went, tramping down the middle of the street. Its pillow had fallen a little to one side, which gave it a jaunty, rakish air. Humph, said Willie. Well, I'm glad the ugly old thing is gone. Now I shall not have to go to bed at all. That was all very well for an hour or so. But after that little boy began to grow very sleepy in spite of himself, he rubbed his eyes, he yawned, he tried to shake himself broad awake, but it was of no use. For some time longer he fought against the sleepiness, but at last he went to his mother, looking very much ashamed, and said, Please, Mama, I want to go to bed. I am very sorry, Willie, said his mother, but you have no bed to go to. You have driven away your good bed by ill-treatment, and now you must sit up all night. Poor little Willie, he tried to go to sleep in a chair, but his head kept tumbling backward or forward and waking him. Oh, he was wretchedly uncomfortable, and finally he burst into tears. Oh, my dear bed, cried he, my nice, soft, warm, pretty bed, why did I ever treat you so badly? Oh, dear, good bed, if you will only come back to me, I will never, never call you names again. Oh, 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 how tired I am, and cold, and... But suddenly he stopped crying, for he thought he heard a noise outside. He listened. Yes, through the open window came a faint sound. Thump, thump, thump. Willie flew to the window. Oh, joy, there was the bed, stumping back up the street on its fluted yellow legs. Back it came, in at the window and across the room, till it stood in its accustomed place. In about three minutes, Willie's head was on the pillow, and I believe he has never called his bed name since. Why, bless me, said Uncle Jack, looking down. Here is Downy asleep, too. Let us all go upstairs and see if his bed is there all right. I hope it did not hear what he said about it. For you see, they are sensitive fellows, these beds. Now then, up we go. I will carry Downy, Miss Posset, and do you bring Puff and Fluff with you, for it is high time they were in bed, too. Well, Uncle Jack is a very wise man in most things, but I should have thought he would have known better than to try cat stairs for the first time at night, with a candle in one hand and a child in his arms. At the first step, he bumped his own head. At the second, he bumped the child's head. At the third, he bumped the candle and put it out. So there he was in the dark. A sad plight he would have been in if it had not been for my beams. But two or three of the boldest and most skillful of them popped down through the skylight and showed him the way up. For which, by the way, he might have thanked them, but I dare say he did not think of it. After stumbling over a trunk and a chair and nearly breaking his nose against the edge of a door, poor Uncle Jack finally reached the large room which he had chosen to be the nursery. Puff and Fluff who had tumbled up behind him, looked eagerly to see if Downy's bed was there. Yes, there it stood, drawing its white curtains primely around it, and looking very amiable. Fluff gave a sigh of relief. Oh, she said, I was so afraid it had heard what Downy said. I think perhaps it is a little deaf, said Puff. It never seemed to mind, and yet he calls it all sorts of names sometimes. Can a thing be deaf in its legs, Uncle Jack? 
asked Fluff, but Uncle Jack began to laugh, and that hurt Fluff's feelings, so she said nothing more. And now Miss Posset came, and the three dear little mice were soon snugly tucked up in bed. The twins together, with their arms around each other's necks, and little Downy curled up alone in his pretty white nest, the sweetest mouse that ever was seen. Ah, now it was my turn. As soon as Miss Posset had left the room, down I came, post-haste, on flash, my swiftest beam. I sat down on Fluff's pillow, and soon introduced myself to the little mice. They were fast asleep, of course, but that is the best time to take children. In fact, I never can get on with them when they are awake. Their heads are full of so many things. Yes, I said. I really am the man in the moon. I live in a silver palace. Really silver? asked Puff. Yes, really silver. From top to bottom, from roof to cellar, walls and floors, tables and chairs, dishes and spoons are all silver, as bright as Flash, who is dancing about the room here. I should think that a silver bed would be rather hard, said Fluff. Not when it has a cloud mattress and pillow, I replied. That makes it soft enough, I can tell you. Then I told them how the clouds were divided into three classes, and how one kind was good to sleep on, and another good to ride on, and the third good, very good too, to eat. Does it taste like the white part in Floating Island? asked Fluff. Rather like it, but a great, great deal nicer. More like whipped cream. And is that all you have to eat? Oh no, I have ice cream whenever I want. All the mountains up here are covered with ice cream instead of snow, and I have only to send a beam out a few steps, and I have all I want, pink or white or any color I choose. Oh, how lovely, sighed Fluff. Tell us more, Mr. Moonman. So I told them about my neighbors, the stars, and my elder brother in the sun, with his splendid palace of gold and diamond. We are very fond of each other, but we cannot often visit each other, so we sent letters and messages by the comets, who come and go, or by the merry meteors. Well, well, how many questions they did ask, those mice. I had been telling them about my big mirror, and... Oh, cried Puff, can you really see all the people in the world? Yes, indeed, but not all at once. As I tip my glass this way or that, so I see this place or that place. Yesterday I saw a fine sight, I can tell you. Oh, what was it, what was it? cried the three mice. You shall hear, I said, if you will be quiet. Listen now, for it is nearly time for me to go home, and Flash is looking pale. Well, I saw some wolves go to a concert, and that is more than any of you ever saw, I'll warrant. In a certain wild part of northern Germany, there lived three good brothers whom I know very well. Their names are Hans, Karl, and Wilhelm, and they are musicians by trade. That is to say, Hans plays on the violoncello, which is a very big fiddle about half as big as himself, while Wilhelm has a small fiddle, and Karl toots away on a kind of little brass trumpet called a cornet. So now you know about the men as if you had seen them, for they do nothing in the world but play on their several instruments. Now, yesterday there was to be a wedding, and the three brothers were asked to come and play for the guests to dance. Their way led through a wild and gloomy forest, where many wild beasts roamed about, but the three started merrily and strolled along singing and talking together. Suddenly they stopped singing, for they heard a noise that was not so pleasant as their song. It was a long, low howl, and soon came another, and another. Then they knew that the wolves were coming, 
and their hearts sank within them. Anxiously, they looked about them. They were in an open space in the wood. Now a rustling was heard, and out came a gray wolf and looked at them. The teeth of the three brothers chattered in their heads. It was like the sound of castanets as I hear them played in Spain by the black-eyed dancing girls. Another wolf came out, and he came yet nearer, and then two more. If I had but my gun, cried Hans. If I had but my hunting knife, said Carl. Ah, brothers, said Wilhelm, we have nothing, so we must die. Nevertheless, let us die merrily. So take your instruments, and we will play a tune for these beasts that we may all dance together. So the three brothers took their instruments, the big fiddle and the little fiddle and the trumpet, and began to play. As the first notes sounded, the wolves stopped short. Seeing this, the brothers played the faster a merry waltz, which they had meant to play at the wedding. Tra-la-la, tra-la-la, gaily rang out the notes in the clear air, while the musicians' teeth rattled like the castanets, and their limbs trembled, and their hands could scarcely hold the instruments, for they were playing for their lives, you see. Yes, and they won the game, for the wolves, who were not used to concerts, did not know what to make of this sort of thing. They began to be frightened, to wonder what strange beasts these were, with such wild voices. They looked at each other and drew back a step or two. It was well to be near the forest in any case. Further and further they retired toward the shade of the trees, and finally, as the music changed to a furious jig and the trumpet sounded like the scream of a panther, the terrified wolves turned tail and ran as fast as their fright and their four legs could carry them. Off as fast in the opposite direction ran also Hans, Carl, and Wilhelm, playing as they went. They played and ran, ran and played till they reached the open fields and the houses, and then they sat down under a haystack and did not move for the rest of the day. Ah, that was a fine concert. But there was no music at the wedding, which is sad to think of. With that, I kissed my three mice and bade them good night. Though it was nearly morning, then mounting my moonbeam, I whisked away and soon left mice and mousetrap far behind. Wake, wake, children, wake. Here we're singing for your sake. Chirrup, 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 chee. Sweet as song as sweet can be. Rise, rise, children, rise. Shake the poppies from your eyes. Sweet, sweet, chirp, tweet. Morning blossoms at your feet. Song and sweetness, dawn and dew. All are waiting now for you. Wake, wake, children, wake. Here we're singing for your sake. End of chapter three. The Mice. Recording by Kurt Troutwine.